0: when i read the book of mark i think i've shared with you before i like the book of mark because the book of mark is so concise it's one of the, it's the shortest gospel it tells accounts in half the verses that matthew and luke do it just gives the facts and that fits my personality just right a lot of times when i need to make the study more robust. I go to Matthew and Luke, but when I'm trying to get the basics and trying to get an overall picture, I like to read Mark. And one of the things I've been doing this week is uh, I've been concentrating particularly in the fifth chapter. The fifth chapter is an account of three deliverances. And as I read that, I am absolutely marvel at the way God does things And it's almost like no pattern is his pattern. It's like he purposely does things differently all the time. And uh, when Osby came in and and picked up my notes, I told him he's going to get inside in the way I am cursed to think. I think in rows and columns. When I read Scripture, I think in rows and columns. When I read the book of Mark, chapter 5... I think of rows and columns. And I'm going to share a little bit of that with you in trying to look at these three healings. Now, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is we, in our human frailties, try to simplify God all the time. And we come to conclusions about this is the way things are supposed to be done. And the problem is, is we create a box, and God doesn't hardly ever fit into that box. And my problem is, is even though I figure that out, I keep trying to build new boxes. And he doesn't fill in those new boxes either. Let me share this with you um, by way of introduction. Many years ago when I was still in Michigan, I ended up teaching an economics course at a small college, and I did it at night. I had my day job And at night, I taught economics. And I got pretty comfortable teaching that economics course because when I walked into class, it was a very stereotypical class. Usually the people in that course, it was a good complement of males and females. Most of them had worked all day. They came in in business attire, and I would teach the course, and everything went fine. And I did that for a couple of semesters. And then one semester I came in. It was the first day, and I had my schedule. I was just an adjunct faculty member. And I looked, and I walked in, and the classroom was filled with all women, and nearly all of them were wearing scrubs. So my first thing was I walked outside and looked at the room number to make sure I was in the right spot. Yeah, 231, that's where I was supposed to be, and I came back in 231, And I said, what's going on? And they said, well, we are a nursing class and we needed this one checkbox in this particular category of general studies and you were the only thing that fit the schedule. (laughs) Yeah, gee, thanks. That's what I thought. So I started teaching like I normally did and I drew my first supply and demand curve on there and they freaked out. Ah, math, right? Okay, that was this particular class. And right then, I realized that I'm going to have to teach this course a whole lot differently than I'm used to teaching the course. So what I did is I geared that course knowing they would no, go, no longer go on in that particular field of study anymore. So what I did is I geared that course so they could listen to a presidential debate and figure out who was spinning yarn and who wasn't. And that was my goal. Well, my point is... is When I look at God's word and I see these three miracles, the conclusion I come to, the bottom line is there are three different individuals that absolutely came and they tried everything on their own, or the people that were close to them, and they hit a wall where they just simply could not do it on their own, and they got to the place where they finally realized, I need Jesus. That's the bottom line. But the way they came to that conclusion was completely different, just like as I pastor a church. Some of you may be relied on your intellect over the years, and God is going to get you a place where your intellect doesn't deliver it for you anymore. Some of you may be to the place where financially you're pretty secure, and finances and money's always been able to get you out of jams before. Well, God in that place will get you to a place where that's no longer going to work. Some of you have relied on family. Family will help me get through this problem. Family's great. It's a great blessing. But when God is getting to a place where you come and you need to depend on Him, He will create circumstances. And in other words, He doesn't operate the same. And the reason why He doesn't operate the same is we are not the same. You don't parent your children all the same. You've got some that are more stubborn than others. You've got some that are more forgetful than others. You've got, you know, they get distracted easily, right? I've shared that before. All my sons are gone today, so I can use them. I told you this story for years. You know, when my kids were little and we were driving home on Sunday and the kids were in the back of the van, I would always ask them the question, what did the preacher (coughs) preach on? See, it was funny, it wasn't until they got in their 20s they realized, I wasn't testing them, I was testing me. I wanted to know what they picked up out of it. Right? And I had three boys, I'm going to hold off on the girls because they're here, so I'm not going to embarrass them. But I would say, what did the preacher preach on? And Graham, my oldest, relied on his intellect a lot. He says, Dad, you made four points. You want them forward or backward? Smart Alec, Right? And then I went to my second son. What was it? He says, Dad, I don't know what the four points are, but I saw him working on number two and number four on Monday. Ultimately, go, yeah, right? And then my third son comes along. What's the sermon on? And he would go, Jesus, right? Three boys, same genetic pool, same environment, completely different. How you teach them will be completely different. So we come to this and we look at Mark and there's going to be three deliverances here and they are going to be as different as night and day. But the bottom line is the mechanics might be different, but the truth is the same. That's non-negotiable. Okay? So what I'd like to do is I want to go through this and I'm just going to read the whole chapter and <clears throat> I, I, I want to preface this, there is one, the, and, and it's by far the longest account, it's 20 verses, it's 1 through 20, and it's a man possessed by a legion of devils, and they got cast out. Now the second one is, is I'm going to call this the second one, <clears throat> I'm going to call it a woman suffering from a blood issue. And the third one was a little 12-year-old girl who died. Now the problem is, is that account right there is split, what happened is, is her dad came to him, and there's four verses in 21 through 24, and he comes to Jesus, and as Jesus is being taken home by the father, he's interrupted by the woman with the blood, and then after he deals with that woman, we come up and we pick up, and he gets to the, woman's, or the, the father's house where the little girl is. So I'm going to read them all three together. It looks like I'm going to get them out of order, but what I'm trying to do is just keep the accounts together. You got it? So with that being said, let's just read these. Here is the first account. And this is the deliverance of the one that was possessed. So if you have your Bibles, grab one from the back of the pew or grab your own or, or read along over here, however you want to do it. <clears throat> this is all, everything we're reading here today is in Mark chapter 5. <clears throat> and they came over on the other side of the sea into the Gadareans. Now, I, again, I, I want to preface this during this chapter. If, if you would look at the Sea of Galilee, right? And you would see, and they kept, and it says the other side, the other side. We're going to read different counts. And it says that what happens is he's going from the Jewish side, which would have been on the west coast, to the east coast, would have been the Gentiles. So you're going to, we're going to read the account, and there's going to be some pigs there. And you're going, what are Jews doing with pigs? Well, he was on the other side, he was on the Gentile side, and bacon was okay for them. And I say, bacon's okay for me, too, right? But, but, but that's what's happening, okay? <clears throat> Verse 2. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could he any tame him. So basically, the whole city, the whole of families, all the townspeople had been working on him. They'd been trying to control him, and they just flat out couldn't do it. Okay? Verse 5. And always, night and day, in the mountains and in the trees, crying and cutting himself with stones. Verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. And cried with a loud voice, saying, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee, by God, that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him that he would not send them away out of the country. Verse 11. Now there was nigh <clears throat> unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that he may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And he heard, the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of pigs, right? And they were choked in the sea, and they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was what was that was done, and they come to Jesus and see him in that was possessed with the devil, and had the legion sitting in clothed and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid, and they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him, Depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed, and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. That's the first account. Now we're going to double back, and we're going to pick out some 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 pieces from all three accounts. But the one thing I want to share with you is, <clears throat> I did a little homework last night, I made a couple calls. Because when Jesus healed this man, and they said, please leave, it kind of hit me, why would you ask him for Jesus to leave after he did this great miracle. I got on the phone and I called my sons and I said, guys, how much is a pig? How much does a pig cost nowadays in today's dollar? They said, well, if it's a little one, 500, but if it's a big one, it could be as much as $1,000. So let's use the small number, $500 for a pig, right? You know what 500 is times 2,000? That's a million bucks. Jesus cost them a million dollars in inventory. No wonder why they asked him to leave, right? Okay, anyway, that's a kind of chasing a rabbit, but try to give you a context of how profound that was. Okay, now <clears throat> you're saying, Brother Dalvin, you're thinking about rows and columns. Well, you can't do rows and columns with only one account. But wait till you see when we're done. Just, just, just try to take in some of the facts of this miracle, okay? All right. Second account, it's the woman with a blood issue. We're going to skip four verses. We'll come back and pick them up when we talk about the the dead little girl. But we're going to start reading at verse 25 now. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. So here's the case. And, and this one, all the townspeople tried to control this guy and they had no success. She took and she spent all her money and all used every doctor that known at that time and had no success. Okay. And she had heard of Jesus and came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said, basically, Jesus, are you kidding me? I says, we're in a mob, and you're saying, Who touched my clothes? Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him, and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. Okay, that's account number two. Here's account number three. Going back, doubling back, starting at Verse 21. <clears throat> And when Jesus had passed over again by the ship on the other side, so he's going back and forth over the Sea of Galilee from Jew to Gentile to different lands uh, by the, on the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed." and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Okay, we're going to skip over the healing of the woman with the blood issue. We're going to pick up now at verse 35. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler's synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter is dead, why troublest the master any further? In other words, sorry, it's too late. She's died. She's died. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered, no man follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. But when he was come, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Verse 40. And they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, James, Peter, and John. And he took her by the hand and said, Talithai cumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with great astonishment, and he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that they should be given her to eat. Okay, we just read a whole chapter. I hardly ever just sit down and start service by reading a whole chapter, but I think this one will be kind of important. But the one thing I hope you picked up, just, you know, first pass through, is that you had three people that were at wit's ends. They had reached a place Where in this world, they had done everything they could do and there was nothing else they could do on their own. So let's turn to God and maybe he can help. My question is, is why do we always wait till we've tried everything we know to do? Why do we always wait so long? You think we could save ourselves a lot of time and aggravation if we went to him right off the bat? Amen? Well, that's just our nature. Okay? All right, let's, you ready? First thing, when I read these accounts, you know what strikes me first? One's a man, one's a woman, one's a child. Jesus heals everybody. Right? When I go, how... Well, in one case, Jesus was just traveling and he just happened to be passing by. In another one, the second case, actually the woman was actually pursuing Jesus. In the third one, dad went to go get Jesus and brought him back to the house. Do we ever have it about Jesus saves me this way? No. Sometimes it's in the way. Sometimes it's us planning. Sometimes it's another person doing the planning. Where? Where? The first guy was healed in the country. The second one was healed in city streets. And the third one was healed in a house. Hmm. And the first one, Jesus talked to an unclean spirit. And the second one, he talked to the person that was healed. And the third one, he can't talk to a dead person. He talked to the father. Do we ever get in a position where we say, God, you got to do it this way? The means. This is the funny one, I think. And the first one he just spoke. He says, Come out. And the second one, she touched him. And the third one, he touched her. Well, Jesus, this is the way you're supposed to do things, right? Oh, we'd never do that in a church. Let's talk about as simple as something something as simple as this piece of wood right here, this piece of furniture, this pulpit. I've been in churches where churches were completely remodeled. And they said, but that pulpit's going to stay. That's the one graph I use. You can't preach anything else. And I just think over the years, how many different things I've preached on. You would laugh. Last summer, M and I went to um, Indiana. And we were there for a church service, and one of these services was held outside by the side of a pond because they were going to do some baptisms. And you know what I just preached on? A couple hay bales. That was my pulpit. There was another time I was in North Georgia, and my father in the ministry, um, Edward Cagle, was trying to plant a church in North Georgia. So at night, he got different preachers to go there on a Sunday night, and this one particular Sunday night I went well, it was just a church plant. It was just getting started off. And it turned out one of the families <clears throat> that was involved in this church plant owned a Sears outlet. Now, I don't know. You, you, you think of Sears, you think of these great big department stores. But in little bitty towns, you know, like in the strip mall, they would have a little bit of outlet where you can pick up an appliance or, or, or some, some tools or something like that. Well, it was one of these because he was the owner. It was the biggest thing they had. So what they did is they pushed all of everything aside. They went to the lawn furniture part and put a bunch of lawn chairs out. And I got there, and that was what I preached. Well, the problem was is they shoved a box with a refrigerator, not a refrigerator, a stove still in it. And they shoved that in there, and that was going to be my pulpit. But it was too high for me. So they pushed the stove aside and brought out a dishwasher, and I used that as my pulpit. Still in the box. You're kind of laughing. That's silly, Right? Does the mechanics really matter? Uh uh. Can't tell you some of the things I preached on in the Philippines. Amen? But we get it in our mind God's got to do it a certain way. And the answer is no, He hardly ever does it a certain way. You know, when He heals, sometimes He touches. Sometimes He spits. Sometimes He spits and uses spittle. Sometimes the person is present. Sometimes the person is not. Sometimes the person asks. Sometimes the person doesn't ask. Sometimes another one does the asking. You know what He prays? Sometimes He does it early in the morning. Sometimes He does it all night long. Sometimes He does it with fasting. Sometimes He does it before a meal. Sometimes he does it by himself. Sometimes it with a small group. Sometimes it with a great big large crowd. Jesus, you're helping me. You're not helping me build a religion. Right? It's almost like he purposely did things differently every single time. The answer's right. Sometimes he heals in one phase. Sometimes he heals in two phases. Why, Jesus? Because we're always trying to put Jesus or God in a box. He doesn't fit in our boxes. Okay, We're not done yet. You know, man is a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. Right? In the first account, it looks like he healed the spirit. In the second one, he healed the body. In the third one, he replaced the soul. Wow. In... The first one, who was faith? Who, who exhibited faith? And the answer was no one. And the second one, it was the woman. And the third one, it was dad that exhibited the faith. You ever hear someone tell you, he says, well, you're still sick because you don't have enough faith? You know what I tell them? that kind of, that prosperity gospel thinking. I said, well, according to the scripture, just as many people got healed for someone else coming to Jesus on their behalf. And I said, maybe you don't have enough faith. Right? Because, see, dad's asking, mom's asking, ruler's asking, master's asking. Amen? It's about 50-50. How about when he performed a miracle? Well, when he did the first miracle, the whole city saw it. When he did the blood issue, just the healed person knew it. And then the third one, the one where the little girl was dead, how many people were in that room? Remember? Five. Mom and dad and three disciples. That was it. Whole city, no one, five. And we want to put God in our boxes all the time, right? Before the people tried to control the person that was possessed, before the woman with the blood issue, they took all her money. And then when the little girl that died, the people did before hers. You know what they did? They mourned. They gathered to mourn. The people after, those people that knew it they feared Jesus. The people the one with the blood issue, they questioned Jesus, and the ones that were dead, the ones that were around there, they laughed him to scorn. But Jesus healed them anyway. So it didn't matter who was around. Amen? Finally, this is the one that's most baffling. When Jesus healed or delivered the possessed person, he says, go tell everybody. Right? But way on the other side, with the 12-year-old little girl, he says, don't tell anybody. Wait a second. The people that marveled at Jesus, those were the ones you told? And the people that laughed at him to scorn, those are the ones that you didn't tell? I thought it would be right the opposite. If it was me and they were laughing at me, I'd have wanted to have done the touchdown dance. Ah, nah, I nah, see you're wrong, right? But he did right the opposite. Just Jesus doesn't fit in our healing deliverance boxes. And the bottom line is, is our prayers are limited, are confined by our thinking. We, we just don't ask God. In all the ways he's capable of delivering things, because we got him, we, we say he operates this way. Okay, okay, got a few observations. Jesus delivered those who asked. He delivered some people that didn't ask, and he did uh, delivered others when someone else did the asking. Sometimes Jesus has looks on me, and he goes, "That poor dolph, he didn't even have the sense to ask for help, but I'm going to help him anyway." Sometimes I have the sense to ask. And once in a while, I'll even ask for the right thing. And he'll bless me. And then sometimes, my wife's on her knees for me. And he'll bless me because of her. That's probably the way it goes most of the time. Jesus doesn't fit into a box. Jesus touched the unclean. And he spoke to that which there was no law against touching. What does that mean? In the Old Testament law, if a woman had a blood issue, she was considered unclean. And if you touched her, you actually had to go take a shower and burn your clothes or wash them. If you touched a dead body, you needed to wash your clothes or burn your clothes and go take a bath. That's who Jesus touched. But the one that was okay to touch, the one with the unclean spirit, that's the one he spoke to. I thought it would be right the opposite. But he did it backwards. Jesus, what are you trying to tell me? He told those who marveled and those who mocked him, he didn't tell them. In the group that he healed, there were rulers and there were lunatics. There were Jews and Gentiles. There were rich and poor. He ministered to everybody. Because sooner or later, everybody here on earth is going to run run into that wall. And it's going to be on their means. At times, faith is exercised before deliverance. Sometimes it's after deliverance. Sometimes it's by the third person. And sometimes God has mercy and he just does it without any faith being exercised. And then finally, some deliverances are to be broadcast while others are to be intended to be very, very personal. Does God ever do anything that's just That's for you, Dolph. That's for you, Richard. I've tried sharing some of those intimate moments. And the people go, huh? And you say, well, you got to be there, right? Yeah, is that it? Sometimes that's the way it works. Okay, here's a few I wonders. Jesus delivers people when they're out of options. I already shared this one to you. I wonder why we so often make Jesus our last option. You know what? He really should be our last option. He just should be our first option. Because if we made him our first option, he'd be our last option. But we always make him our seventh option, so the seventh option is our last option. Why don't we just save those first six? Amen? Thank you, Sister Cindy. At least someone's in the same crazy boat that I am, right? When exercising faith, the majority is wrong the majority of the time. So why do we let the majority direct us so often? Amen? Jesus is diverse in the way he delivers and who he delivers and when he delivers. I wonder why we keep trying to put him in our boxes. Jesus ministered to men, women, and children, one-on-one, in small groups, in large groups. I wonder why keep trying to harvest the fields that we always harvested and fish in the waters we've always fished in. Is that us? Never go out of your comfort zone. Jesus maximized the benefit intended for his target audience. I wonder why we so often, our means and methods are strictly regimented. We're just so tight. Now with those I gave you the example of those nursing students learning economics. I could have easily went business route as I've always done it and forced it down their throats. Right? Made them take the test. They didn't care about, never applied to a real life situation. Or I could alter it to them. Okay. And finally, six. What were the disciples supposed to have learned from these three deliverances? Did they learn them? And if they learned them, how did they apply them? That's the lesson for us. Again, as biological parents, as a pastor in this pulpit, as friends with coworkers, neighbors, in-laws, what what can we learn from it, how we deal with them? I think I shared with you... The Bible uses 46 past tense verbs to describe the finished work of Jesus Christ. Why 46? Well, if you're dealing with something in the legal profession, you might want to use the word pardoned. If you're talking to someone in the banking or finance, you might want to use made surety or redeemed. If you're talking to someone in medicine, you might want to use the word healed. If you're talking to a truck driver, you might want to use the word delivered. If you're talking to a homemaker, you might want to use the word washed or cleansed. If you're talking to a four-year-old little child, you might use the words put away. Why did God give us 46 past tense verbs to describe the finished work of Jesus Christ? Because we're different, we got different backgrounds. You're saying, Brother Dolph, you want me to memorize 46 past tense verbs? Well, it wouldn't hurt you. (laughs) It might even enrich you. So when someone says, what's a primitive Baptist? You don't pull the thing, and then the automatic spiel comes out, right? You know what you do is you sit there and you Listen and you see where they're at, and you see what their experiences are, and you custom that answer to them. You don't change the truth. You just change the mechanics used to illustrate the truth. The truth is the same. It won't budge. Okay. Here's a few childlike wonders. These are, these are, these are silly. I, I know, but, but when I read Scripture, I ask these questions of myself all the time. Why were the first two, why was the uh, miracle one and three, why was it recorded continuously? But why did you break up number two? You could have told a story without breaking up number two. And the answer is, I don't know why God did it, but he did it. I want to know, what happened to the demons after the pigs drowned? I don't know. You're laughing, the next, what happened to all that bacon, Right. I ask those questions because I like bacon, right? <laughs> Seems like a wait, a million dollars in produce? Jesus said, behold, being whole in miracles one and three included friends and family. I thought the being whole would be most important, this number two. You know when a woman had a blood issue, she was considered unclean. She could, like, like, like if, 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 if two people sat on the same pew and one of them had the blood issue, the other one would have to go wash his clothes, take a shower, and you know what? That pew would either have to be burned or scrubbed down. She couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't hug her children. She couldn't kiss her husband. He would be unclean. Do you understand she was healed more of just feeling than the fatigue that comes with the blood issue? There was a whole social side of that. So when she went home, and all of a sudden, after 12 years of, Honey, give me a kiss. I can't give you a kiss. No, I'm healed. She had to share it with her husband. That's part of being whole. Okay, Think about it this way. She had the blood issue. She touched Jesus. And she was healed. And after she was healed, Jesus said, Go and be whole. He didn't say go and be healed. She was already healed. He said go and behold, Go enjoy all the social ramifications that come with that deliverance. And then finally, miracle number three. When the 12-year-old rose from the dead, you know what he said? He said, feed her. When Peter's mother-in-law had a fever and she was sick, and Jesus touched her and she was healed? You know what she did? She went and became a waitress. Why did one have to serve and the other one was served? I don't know. That's just the way Jesus does it. See, when I sit and I'm in my word and I read, maybe you say, Brother Dolph, you've got to stop reading that chapter after three times. You think of too much stuff. I think I do because my head starts hurt sometimes because I usually generate more questions than I can answer. That's okay? I don't know about that. How we do it on time. All right, we're getting down to the bottom. Okay, Consider the condition of each person before deliverance. And then let's consider that same person after deliverance. Okay, The man, the lunatic, the one that was possessed of the Spirit, he was in bondage to Satan, to sin, and to darkness. It's a terrible place to be. But afterwards, the demons were defeated, he was in his right mind, and he had fellowship restored. And, he said, and, and this is hard. He said, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to travel with you. I want to accompany you with you. I want to jump on the boat with you. I want to go help you minister. I want to be with you. And Jesus said, no, I need you to go back home and tell him all the great things I have done for you. Please, can I still be with you? That sounds like work. No, nope, that's what he told them to do. So, when we sang the song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. I think that's something we ought to be doing, sharing that with other people. Right? But not always. Number two, the woman, the woman before, she was without affection, she was without personal touch, and she was without communion with God's people. She could not go to the synagogue. <clears throat> She was actually taking a risk to go into that crowded street where the great big crowd was and have someone brush against her and make her way to Jesus and just touch the hem of his garden. She was taking a big risk. But afterwards, deliverance was not by her money, it was not by the doctor's wisdom, it was by the virtue of Jesus Christ. She ran out of all her other options. And then finally, the child. The child, the corpse. The corpse was dead without physical ability or mental cognition. That's us before regeneration. We're spiritually dead. But afterwards, she was living, she was breathing, she was eating, she was communing, and she was ready to serve God and others. That's us. That's us. So I pray... That when we look at these three miracles again, or we look at anything in Scripture, we look at more than just an account, we look at and compare to other accounts. Now, let me share you what, see, for me, that's not where it stops. I go to Mark chapter 4, and Jesus was tested or questioned four times. And he answered four different ways. You know, in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, it says, answer not a fool according to his folly. And the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. And you want to go, God, make up your mind. Well, the answer is, one of Brother Danny's favorite words as have we've been talking is, it depends. It depends on the person. And we want to go into our automatic pilot mode of what religion is and respond a certain way all the time the same way That's just not the way Christ did it. So, I pray when we read Scripture, maybe sometimes you need to take a step back and read a whole chapter or a whole book, and you look at God and you see how diverse is the way he's with dealing people. And then, first of all, we need to be thankful that he's diverse because he looks at this guy down here, this this, this displaced Yankee that's preaching in a Virginia pulpit, and he has mercy on him but he's having mercy on him the way he needs mercy to be shown to him. He personalizes his approach to me, and he personalizes all his approach to you. That's a loving God. That's why we call him Father and not Ruler. Amen? He is our King, but he's also our Father. And like a father does a child, he deals with us the way we need to be dealt.